We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water. I'm Sharon Kleina. Almost eight years ago, I started out this show thinking that I would discuss water, water, water. And we have many guests that have been coming on about nutrition and and animals of the earth, and and all there is about your safety and your health and your issues mentally, physically, but water is the issue of our show. And as you know, the earth has is 98%, actually 97% seawater. Now, was the power of our planet meant to be seawater? No. 3% is fresh water. 2% is unusable, 1% is all that's left to be used for our everyday life. Now, something happened in the power of this planet, and it was determined that fresh water would sustain all living life on the earth with the moisture in the air, call humidity, fresh, clean then you would have fresh water to drink and to use for other purposes, but especially for sustaining your organisms of your life. Remember, when you left that pocket of water of your mother and you entered in that delivery room, you left a pocket of water and you're no longer in the water except for humidity and the water you're drinking. Humidity is the air you're living in and you're breathing and it is vital to your everyday life. Without it, you would not live. Water internally with 50 trillion cells of water in the cell. And do you remember the show that I had some time ago with a Nobel Prize winner from Switzerland who approved that those that water and the cell, the molecule, is very important to your everyday life. So those 50 trillion cells that you're living with must be nourished. Liquid means that you are living in a liquid of what you need to pre- to always be hydrating because you're dehydrating from birth to passing death. That is your process. Did you ever complain about being too tired or an itch on the toe or a virus or a cold or even those dry eyes with a very confusing description of dry eye? 
eyes are 98% water at the surface of the eye. Well, if the eye is 98% water at the surface of the eye and the electrolytic ability for the eye to have a vision, healthy vision, no vision impairment, or if there's a vision impairment, what's causing it? A dry loss of water on the surface of the eye called dry eye. So therefore, when the body is getting drier, the eyes are getting drier, your skin is getting drier, what is that? You need to drink at least 8 to 10 glasses of fresh water, no added ingredients a day, to add to your numbers of count to what you're drinking a day. When the doctors are saying that this virus is going around, this flu virus, drink liquid, I wish to gosh they would say, or fresh water, because the liquid is too heavy. There's a saying way back in science, the heavier the water, in other words, added ingredients are too heavy in minerals and too heavy in sodium or whatever, the dirtier the water. It won't absorb. The lighter the water, the wetter the water. It will absorb. So remember, you add a hint of something heavy to the water, don't call it drinking water. It's too heavy. Your body is is this way. Lean muscles are 75% water. Hmm, that's interesting. So if they're lean, they'll be 75% water. Obese people are 45% water. Aha, the water is being dehydrated because of the of being overweight. The brain is 80% water. Tears are 98, that's the surface of your eye, 98% water. Skin is 68% water. Blood is 70% water. Body fat is 10% water. Bones are 22% water. Outside the cell is of the, of the cell in the, in the, in your body, and there's 50 trillion of them, 50 trillion, there is one third water outside the cell, but in the cell is two thirds water. Why aren't you drinking more water, all fresh water, and thinking about your diet more? This is what the show's all about. And as you know, our hearts are with the people in China because you know what happened to their air, their breathing in the past several weeks and has been continuing for many years. The carbon particle of the, of the safety of the Chinese people living in China and all their guests and everyone there is living with a carbon particle of 526 micrograms per cubic beyond the index, which means 2.5 is healthy enough, not too healthy, but healthy enough. But if you get over 2.5 and they're up to almost 700 and above some days, that they can't breathe. The eyes can't breathe. The skin can't breathe. The water is being contaminated. Their clothing, their teeth, their hair, their apartments, their homes, everything is being contaminated. So always think about how lucky you are if you're not living in an area where you can have fresh, clean, safe water. And the other thing about the show is I always bring up my children around the world. I want to save those 5,000 children that are dying a day that have no water at all, none. So be thinking about that during the show. We're going to be talking today with a really, – I'm really interested in this today. We're going to be talking to Brett Brayton. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He's a retired federal agent. 
he's a, re, uh, he's a, a resident agent, and he's in charge of 29 year. He's a 29-year career guy with the U.S. Customs Service and Department of Homeland Security. The topic today for your health, and this is for your health too, to be sure that we are protected in this country and we understand how to protect our safety and what is important for our survival, for us all to be healthy. And I would add water right in there to protect it. He's got a book called Homeland Insecurity, Immunization, Child Safety in Schools, and More. I mean, immigration, I apologize to you, immigration and child safety. And whenever I bring on these kind of topics, your health, the protection of water, and everything we're doing here in the United States and on the planet Earth, these kind of people like Brett are studying it too. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed with Biologic Aqua Research, and we'll be right back with Brett. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Brad, are you with us? I am. I'm here. So, Brad, uh, I want to introduce you. Um, you're in Atlanta, Georgia, and you have a book out called Homeland Insecurity. Immigration and child safety. That's true. I do. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to that book. Well, I, as you had mentioned in your lead-up, I am a 29-year veteran. Started out as a customs inspector, being from Northeast Minnesota, international fall of the icebox of the world. I uh, grew up on the Canadian border. Became an inspector, moved out, and uh, had inspection jobs for a couple of years. Came on as an agent. And I had been an agent for the rest of my career, probably 25-plus years. Ended up back in Duluth, Minnesota, after having been in, in St. Louis, Missouri, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ended up running an office in Duluth, Minnesota, up on the north shore of uh, beautiful Lake Superior. And that's where I finished up. In looking back on 29 years, I had colleagues throughout that time that knew all the stories that I did, and no one was going to say a word because fear of retaliation and losing jobs and losing their their livelihood, so everyone kept quiet, but nonetheless, we had our discussions around the water coolers, quickly looking over our shoulders to make sure no one was within earshot that could do us harm, 
and saying to one another, you know, there's a lot of stories here. Someone's got to write a book someday. So I guess I was nominated, and I went ahead and did it. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going to make a comment. It sounds like you care about your country enough, like our soldiers and our warriors have, to go into battle. And they knew that sometimes you don't always come out of the battle the way you want, but you're there to protect our civilization. And, uh, you know, people like myself and people on this planet Earth would not be able to live their lives the way they do if we didn't have people who are willing to be warriors and and uh, move out and give us a better education to make some choices. And I don't think people would not, people would make a choice of wanting freedom, safety, uh, let's just say safety, freedom next, and a place to live to do what you need to do to, to always be uh, becoming a better person and a successful person, but not at the expense of other people's lives either. Uh, Brett, tell us, um, now today is a different topic for us, and, uh, but it's timely. And uh, tell us about what you've been learning about uh, homeland security. And I will tell you, when 9-11 first happened, uh, we, my husband and I got on a plane. Uh, I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research, and we had a product, Nature's Tears Imus, that we own. And we went back to 9-11 and handed out thousands of Nature's Tears Imus because we're the only uh, hydration for the eyes there is in the world, and we knew it's 100% natural. So we knew that our firefighters would really, really appreciate it. Then we attended at invitation of the Director of Homeland Security some meetings, and we were sitting there, and I, after two days of these meetings, we found out and we came to our attention that we had forgotten that in the Twin Towers and in the Pentagon, uh, people couldn't see to get out. So our company invented BioMedWash to be able to irrigate the eyes with the fresh water. That's our business. It's only fresh water research to be able to irrigate the eyes with no burning, blurring, and be able to have a handheld device. So if anything like that had ever happened again, that they would have a biomed wash to be able to see to get out. And uh, we have an enormous business up in Canada moving into the United States now more. But what are you learning that we're not planning on? Our education is very poor. We had good education there for about four years. We have no further education about preparation in case our country or our citizens are, are uh, being threatened. Well, I can tell you that in my, in my book, and it consists of failed policies, or politics policies, and a nation at risk is the subtitle. I've been doing research. I mean, I was in the World Trade Center, not when it happened, obviously, but years, you know, a couple of years earlier. I stood on top of one of the towers, which one it was with the observation deck, I don't recall, looking down over Battery Park, 100 plus stories above, above the ground. Uh, you look at something, and I think all of us as Americans say, well, this is going to be here forever. I was, I would eat lunch in the shadow of the towers, and I stayed in the Omni International Hotel that was destroyed in the attack. And that was part of the World Trade Center. And, you know, as just an average person, you look up at the marvelous structure and we take it for granted as we do a number of things. Now, in expanding a little bit of what we've learned, I hate to say we really haven't learned a lot. I just quickly want to summarize the study I, I happened across recently. It was filed in November 2012, so mere months ago. It was filed by the U.S. House Committee on Homeland Security. And I'm just going to read a couple of the major findings. 
Finding number one, and I'll, I'll read it verbatim, although the U.S. tightened security at airports and land ports of entry in the uh, wake of 9-11, the U.S.-Mexico border remains an obvious weak link in the chain. Now, we're only controlling on the southwest border roughly 18% of the entire land border of 1,951 miles. The Texas Department of uh, Public Safety reported that they've had 58 incidents of being shot at by Mexican cartel operatives since 2009. So we're under fire, and our customs people have been under fire for years as well, for at least 20 that I was aware of. And now we have Iran that's building up its presence in Central and South America. They have now 11 embassies in nine countries. They have indications now that uh, Latin America is also becoming a money laundering and fundraising center for Hezbollah. And they have a connection that is Hezbollah with Mexican drug cartels and help to control smuggling routes into the U.S. And that relationship has been documented since 2005. So we have a growing terrorist threat in Central and South America that we as Americans, and seeing our wide-open border being none the wiser because no one has inside information like those on the inside and no one's saying anything with the exception of this book and what I have to say, we are led to believe, well, things are, are good. Napolitano said last year, the border's never been safer. Meanwhile, a month later, there's advisories coming out for Americans not to travel except in daylight hours in Mexico and to stand major toll roads. So which is the truth? And that's what I try to do in this book is help people make up their own minds, provide them with, uh, as we've heard before on other networks, a no-spin zone so they can decide for themselves with respect to safety, health, and all of that go- that goes along with this omnipresent threat that's still with us. Yeah, isn't it? You know, um, I'm older than most. I'm 71. And after World War II, we used to have in schools air raid drills to prepare and were we all worried about, you know, we were prepared, we were learned how to prepare. Our parents, because the war was over, never stopped for a long time, Brett, preparing in case there's an emergency. Uh, what happened to our country? Uh, we don't do that anymore. It's almost like, uh, you know, and I have an example, and I, it may not be correct to you being a federal agent, but I use this one. We, for a long time, allowed the rapist to get away with rape because it could have been the girl's fault or the person's fault. All of a sudden, the laws caught up to, oh, my gosh, maybe it's really, in most cases, the rapist's problem. Maybe the person who's raping has a problem with their addiction to wanting to rape. Oh, my gosh, maybe she didn't do anything. And, Brett, I'm looking at it like this, and correct me, and I'm, I can handle anything, is if, if I look at out at what happened after 9-11, and I saw the country come back together caring about our soil and our loyalty to our borders to protect our civilization within the United States. Now, they did a good job. Everybody band together. There was no politics involved. And all of a sudden, what happened to that education, that concern, that constant awareness? Now, I'll tell you what I told them in the Homeland Security meeting. It was the end of the second day, and I'm in research in the Petri dish, not only my business world, but in research and dehydration of water, and I'm in freshwater specialty in my research. 
And I said to them, what are we going to do as a country to keep people reminded and not become complacent about what happened here and what has been happening that we didn't recognize? And they said, that will be the challenge. They said it in front of everybody in that meeting. That is the challenge we will have. This country becomes so complacent. And, Brett, it, it has. It's very complacent. I, I, can't, I, I can't disagree with you. I mean, they re- reported that after days after the attack, churches, synagogues were filled with people, and all of those folks now in the, in the ensuing years have drifted away again. So it does run hot and cold with us, and I called it the new normal. Look at gas prices. You know, you're, I think, in Phoenix, and, uh, you know, I'm looking here on the East Coast in, in Georgia where it's, I think, right around going to be 345 a gallon today. Well, our, and there's our, no here, reasonable our explanation. In our little tiny town of Grants Pass, Oregon, uh, it is there. And I will say to you, this country has got to wake up. But, Brett, you know something that you're doing that is so important is education to the people on the streets that don't understand the vocabulary of the politician. Now, I'm going to say to this, I have a lot of admiration through the years of those who are dedicated to what you've done, others have done, and people say to me all the time, they're always thanking me for my research and what I do. But, Brett, when we go to talk to people, it's like what happened in the last election. We're not talking to the people with vocabulary that they would understand. They're really becoming complacent because they're hearing so much. And it isn't what's the truth and not the truth. Do they understand what you're saying? I they don't. Research. I don't think they're understanding one word. Of I've what done you're research saying. into into the 9-11 attacks, and one case in particular that really jumped out, I've been reading survival books, and I'm not talking about preppers. I'm talking about just making rational, decisive, quick decisions to either survive or not. And in one particular case, which I thought was incredible, this fellow, after the attack, got down safely from his office, reached the lobby of security guards that go back to your office. So he climbed back up the stairs to his office. He was now trapped. He called and left voicemail for his dad. He said, I am back in the office. I cannot get out. I sh- I'm not going to make it. I should not have listened to the security guard and gone back. And there were incidents, one after another, of people frozen in their seats, not making a move, looking for someone to tell them what to do. As in the case of, uh, you know, riding on a plane, flying on a plane, knowing that you have to sit within two to five rows of the exit door or you're not going to make it because the plane will go up in 90 seconds. You have 90 seconds to get out of a burning plane before you don't make it. So you have to plan when you fly to be within two to five rows, no more than that, to get to an exit because you're going to have to climb over people. And that's just the fact of life. So getting to the bottom line is we have so trained our people my generation, I don't know so much about yours, but certainly the children. If you get independent thinkers among children, young boys especially, that aren't really intent on behaving, so they're, they're energetic, they're given something to calm down. So that's what we're training our people to be is compliant, and that is going to get in the way of survival. So the teaching has to begin at some point where, you know, you're in a situation you either decide you're going to survive it or not, and you have to decide quickly and move. And the problem with 9-11 is people froze in place because no one was telling them what to do, and that is a problem. 
even though they had gone through lots of, you know, I was, by the way, Brad, uh, I was in uh, Manhattan uh, right about a few blocks from the Trade Center with a friend of mine who was um, head of uh, Harper's Bazaar, and she was on the board of directors for Harper's, and she lived there forever. And we, I was there in 1993 for the first attack. And we were right there when SWAT teams were all over the place. I mean, she says, well, Sharon, um, I wonder who's coming to town today <laughs> at first. Right. And we were in her car. And uh, Brett, and all of a sudden, we could see it wasn't who's coming to town today after all of a sudden. And so she turned on her radio, and we heard that the World Trade Center had been had a, had a bomb go off, an explosion go off. That we were, that was right then and there. And Brett, after that was all over and all that, it was an attack. That was a uh, a warning sign. They treated it like it was a criminal activity. Right. Now, what what really was? Now we're back to my rapist. Why is it that we have a philosophy in our country that is so complacent about what is the obvious and what must be to protect people's lives? at the expense of, like, our warriors that are going into battle, like you've been there as a federal agent representing uh, our, our culture, our society of America to protect us and our borders. And there's where I, I applaud your book. I applaud you personally for, for being a hero because, my gosh, in heaven world, we better come to the party. We've got some people who are willing to die like what happened with Pearl Harbor. Brett, I think our young people need to hear Pearl Harbor was attacked by planes that they never intended to go back. They were committing suicide intentionally for a cause. We're having that happen every day. People ready ready to take somebody else's life knowing they'll be killed or they'll they'll be, be dead. They don't care. They're doing it for a cause. And people are not realizing how serious this is with our security all over the world, but in our own country. And you know the other thing, Brett, you're going to laugh. It's my age. Blame it on that, Brett. I've often said that when I become President of the United States, and I'm joking, I'm going to do three things. One is bring our borders back to our 50 wonderful states. I call them countries. Value the border to your state. It's priceless. That's where your home is at. Number two was to go out and uh, bring in water, canals like Florida has, and, and different parts of the world have canals to make sure we never run out of water for our, our survival and our safety. The other one is, Brett, is we cannot give up to our government files all of this information because, Brett, what if our country is attacked? Let's just say we somebody attacks Texas and they get away with controlling Texas for a period of time that Texas is no longer being protected by the United States. It's being controlled by another country. And that country goes into Texas. Where do they go, Brett, before they go? What do they go first when they take control of a state? To, legal, to take a control uh, of a state away from the, um, America wanting full control. They go straight to the government files. And they control those government files because that's where the, all the information is. 
Every well, country of the world that's had battles all over the world, what do they do when they go in to a, an, a, to a location? Is take the government files and they've got a list of all those files and the people and what. And they go right down the list because all those addresses, everything's there to those people first. Those are the people they're going to go to first. But tell us today um, what you're learning about uh, uh, about what's happening. This is a good time to discuss for a little bit about what's happening with the, our guns. Uh, this new what happened with uh, the children that were being killed. We're having people killed all over the United States, but not by just guns. More people are actually dying with mistakes in a hospital and dying that didn't go there. They went there to have some health issue done, and there was a mistake, and they died because of a mistake in a hospital. More people are dying that way. But we do have an issue of the gun control problem in our country. What is your thinking about that? Well, my thinking about, about that is this. I, uh, you know, I... I know we have a big picture. I think we have to go to, well, you know, this is my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. I believe that our society has become coarse. I believe that in the way we conduct our affairs with the unborn and with the elderly, with devaluing human life, with the violence in video games and movies, impressionable minds can be impacted by that. And so there's just not, you know, there's the incidents then when kids go in and, and uh, do things in the schools. In the meantime, our schools are set up so kids in classrooms are trapped. There's no way out. There's one door. And if you have a shooter at the door, then the kids are instructed to lie down and play dead. And this is getting back to an earlier comment I made about making it a survival decision. You know, the group that survived the Newtown attack involved a young boy, I think, who took a group of his friends and they ran. They got out of the room. Now we have a company making Kevlar backpacks. And so along with telling the kids, lie down, play dead, and maybe he won't shoot you, you have Kevlar, at least a backpack covering the small of your back that will protect you, of course, unless he shoots somewhere else. This is the mentality of what we're teaching our children. The children are waiting to be told what to do, and if they're being told there's a violent criminal coming in here to do you harm, lie down, just lie down, instead of running away at top speed and getting out of the room. So I go back to society's coarseness. You know, maybe others would take exception to that. I think that is actually the root cause. There's so much we can talk about if we you know, want to circle back to the porousness of the border. And, and as you mentioned, I think hackers, in fact, can get at information. The Chinese could certainly get in hacking our systems, as, as we've heard, uh, you know, right along. So as far as a need to come in and go to a, a seat of power to get that information, they can do right over the Internet. So I think exactly. digitally we're, we're very uh, susceptible to attack and, and infiltration that way. So I hope I answered your question. Well, you did. And, 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 and again, um, I'm looking back at my, my era. And, you know, we were taught not to answer the door if somebody was there, if our parents weren't home. We were taught if we should go down shopping with our friends to be aware of something that somebody might be doing harm to us. We were taught to be aware all the time at something you may not trust, and sometimes the people who look the best are the worst because they can get away with it quicker. So do you? I think possibly, like you just said, our children today of this all these years have been be, be fair to the other person. Always be concerning that there you might they might have a problem that you that you don't know what it's about, and be patient with them. You know, uh, Brett. 
Do you believe that what's happened to our society, that we're being too complacent about being concerning, about protection, and maybe our psychic might work for us quicker than just being complacent? Here's what we're all looking through. We're looking through the filter of political correctness. So in spite of the fact you may have uh, the charism of some psychic uh, ability, then you're going to have the filter of, of uh, political correctness, which we were subjected to the whole time. When I was with Customs, there was no political correctness involved in a kilo of cocaine. It was bad. So we didn't care how the cocaine felt. It didn't care how it was treated. Now, when immigration and Customs were blended together against better judgment under Lieberman with the Department of Homeland Security, the problems that began with two disparate agencies being pushed together with such vastly different missions and the way they treated what they were enforcing. Now, immigration, for its part, with this, for example, quickly getting to the terrorists. We had 19 terrorists, 15 of them uh, were Saudi nationals. They were treated uh, with kid gloves because they were Saudis. They applied for 23 visas, got 22. That's from the immigration. They used 364 aliases. They entered the U.S. 34 times over 21 months. And the inspectors that were immigration inspectors at the time were only allowed to spend 45 seconds with, with, with each immigration person coming through. If they said, well, listen, I got some more suspicions here, they had to qualify that to their, uh, to their supervisor before they could refer that person for more inspection to determine if they were here legally. In the case of Mohammed Atta, who is the controller of the, the group, the, the Saudis or the, the terrorists more like, he came in from, I believe, Madrid, Spain, into Miami shortly before the attacks, claiming to be a student. He didn't have papers. The inspector wanted to turn him back but could not stand up to the supervisor who said, listen, we have a policy. It's unwritten policy. And I'm sure it was begun because of some congressional complaint at some level at some point saying, you know, we were held up, we missed our flight, the person being a Saudi national and having the background, I'll just say a big oil, and being wealthy, possibly, I don't know if Atta, I don't think Atta was, but that would became the unwritten policy when you're treating Saudis, you treat them with kid gloves, and by the way, if you do more than 45 seconds of inspections, you will go through rehabilitation training back in uh, Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Brunswick, Georgia, which no one wants to do. So they said, okay, I'll speed it up and shoot people through, and that's what happened to Octa. Now, if he had been kept out, what would, would 9-11 have happened or been delayed? He was a controller. He was a pilot on one of the aircraft. And I'm just telling, throwing that out, saying if he had been stopped and he was supposed to be not allowed into the country, didn't have the paperwork, I'm thinking at least 9-11 would have been delayed, if not stopped altogether. Yeah, I, I would and bet. that's what we're dealing with. I, I think you just said, too, uh, I w- I w- the description you just had, because they were such a team of how they went about it, it probably would have delayed it and stopped it, and they would have had gone back to the round table. We're going to take a moment from our uh, with our sponsor, Brett, and we're going to be back about what you can teach our audience to think about uh, on uh, our homeland security, and then this can all. This is a worldwide show, so people all over the world can think of what we've got to do. This is a very special planet called Earth, and we're living on it together. And people, thanks to you, have been trained. The rest of us are in the trenches, uh, not trained. And uh, maybe we can think about some of the things that need to do for child safety too, and and what uh, families could be thinking about for their children. We're going to be right back, Brett. 
We're going to be listening to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. Did you know at the surface of your eye is 98% water? And when that eye drop touches it, it's a chemical reaction. Let's listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. 100% tissue culture grade of water. We'll be right back with Brett. Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Brett, uh, what, what do you think our citizens should be considering uh, about how, to, how, how they should be mentally thinking and live a, a very concerning life, but be prepared in case the car breaks down, the power goes out. You should prepare for the unknown and, and, and different degrees of, of, of different uh, unknowns. How do, they begin, how do they prepare when we have such a complacent society? I, I think besides complacency, it's just thinking someone's going to be there to take care of you. And with, with this society now that's being developed, it's not only entitlement, but it's just becoming all completely reliant on, on what someone else does for you. Now, and, uh, just to, you know, getting your kids out of childhood. Okay, they survived childhood. They go through school. Now they have college. They, we all push for kids to go through college because then they get a decent job. Unfortunately, the kids that are coming out of college, they're facing a competition on a global scale with foreign workers. So now the parents have done this tremendous job. They've saved for college or they've co-signed as I have with my, my children for college. And now they're coming out and they're facing competition from others who have gone through a different system. American businessmen are saying the kids coming out of American colleges are not suited for work. They don't know what the foreign students know because the foreign students have been taught differently and they work harder. So under a government-sponsored H-1B visa program, we bring 85,000 foreign workers to our country each and every year. They stay for up to six years, and they take an American job. American business is trained by immigration attorneys. Uh, Burns said, uh, actually, I don't recall the exact law firm, but it's out of Pittsburgh. They had training recently for companies saying this is how we get around having to hire American kids. 
we have to make we have to prove to the government when we petition when we apply to have foreign workers come here that there's no suitable applicant on this side. So what they do, they, they're instructed to design interview questions that the American kids cannot possibly answer. That way they're disqualified from consideration. And I've heard this from business owners saying, you know, that we're not necessarily doing it that way, but we're finding on their own that our kids can't measure up. So in addition then to deciding as American families, do I want to have a concealed carry permit? Do I want to know first aid? Do I want to know CPR? Do I want to have fresh water set aside? All of the things that we can do. I've, I've been asked that question by parents in meetings I've been at, looking at me saying, we need help. We need someone to help us teach our kids and tell us what to teach them. So in addition to the book, I am in the process of setting up training, deciding, first of all, what American families want and need, and then I will be going forward pushing something out to help people, and they can make those decisions, saying, you know, I'm all for self-defense. I'm not going to be Chuck Norris. I'm not going to do, you know, karate or anything like that. I have to rely on concealed carry if that's a fit for them and have the, the training then that's available. They can do it if they want. But that's that's kind of where we're at. You know, Brett, you mentioned something I said to somebody the other day in a conversation. Um, years and years ago, my grandchildren, um, uh, I sent them to karate and uh, to learn how they mentally think in the martial arts of mental thinking. And uh, I asked the individual, he's very good friends with Chuck Norris and the head of the karate, Del Saito, and I said, Del, how did this, why was this invented? And he said, so far back in, in uh, Japan, they'd taken all the guns away. And people weren't allowed after a long period, after a period of time, they just start taking them slowly. They take them slowly. They never take them quickly. And then slowly but surely, all of a sudden, in time, you have no guns. Then all of a sudden, there was a, uh, a threat to society. And then all of a sudden, people learned another art of protection called martial arts karate. That's how the only way they could protect themselves, Brett. And you just, you know, think about it. What's happening to our society today is people are being taken away, taken away, taken away every time you become independent and off the normal course. That's what they want you to, where they want you to be. So you will want to be enabled, not be independent. You are right. And everybody knows this too, Brett. They know it. Even people who say, oh, well, I need that government protection, or I need this decision, I need all these guidelines, I, I want to make sure that everybody else has it because I, I would be the one to be following what's right, but maybe they won't be, so I want to make sure they have it, they're, they're knowing the guidelines. And Brett, what is happening, happening here in the United States is um, a time of life that all of a sudden, our politicians that we thought no different than any other country, Brett, they've gone through this. All those countries are a lot older than the United States of America. We're the kids on the block. Even in North America, we're young kids on the block, 200 years old or whatever. They think that's been that doing this. That's been uh, the government uh, constitution and all has been there for a long time. We know what we're doing. That's our problem. They think they understand the Constitution and they're wanting to change the Constitution because our father, forefathers were so stupid. They didn't know. And that's how every country of the world, Brett, was changed. 
they're so much older than we, they know it. And I've had other people in other parts of the world, Brett, mention, do you realize what you're doing in this country? And I've had to be a front. No, I don't think people know what is happening. And you just said it. Now, with children in the family, something I always think about, Brett, is there was a thing when we were growing up with good old-fashioned manners. Now, what is good old, what do good old-fashioned manners teach you? Don't walk across the lawn when you're going to someone's house. Go across the sidewalk. That was why they built a sidewalk. When you go to the door, did you go to the door at dinner time, lunch time? Don't, don't go. That's bad manners. There was Mr. and Mrs. There were all these guidelines of good manners to be thoughtful of other people around you. But, Brett, one time I thought about this long ago. When you've learned good manners, Brett, in your training and in in boot camp training and all these manners you're learning about how to be courteous to different each other but also to others that are involved with you to to, to train you or to be uh, helping you to survive, do you know what that teaches you? To be aware of what is there and isn't there. There's awareness there of being that kind of well-mannered person that you wouldn't have if you didn't have good manners and that training, Brett. These children have no manners. They're not taught to be with good manners. I mean, really good manners. They think they have good manners, uh, but they're not being taught with at home and at school with the faculty being in charge of good old-fashioned manners in the faculty with the students. We're, we're becoming so... Be, be so naturally whatever you want to be. And it's made us predatorized by people other, other worlds that are very, very highly trained in boot camp. And their manners have taught them to be aware of other people's manners more than our manners. But back to the families in the schools, did you have a chapter in your book? Not just in schools, but everyday life. There was there a cha- is there a chapter in there to teach them? about how to think about that with children for protection? In, in terms of, of safety, no, there's not. It's just the overall threat that we all face. Okay. And my book was set up. It was designed to give uh, an insider's account of what, you know, people go through life with this, uh, they're predisposed to think of the government doing a job in a particular way when the truth is, lies elsewhere. I wanted to be able to tell people, listen, you can take this for what it's worth. You can ignore it. Or you can pay attention to it and then take that information and start making some decisions as to what you want to do. We can all control what goes on generally within our own four walls, but our realm of influence is really limited to that. And I, I was just wanted to jump off topic just for a second, go to China quickly because we're talking about competition manners and everything else. Okay, good. It's good, boils good, down good, to good. a boils down to an issue of people doing what they want to do, what they have to do to get ahead. And so the attacks were based on you know, getting rid of a particular way of thinking that is the attack on the West. Now, as far as China, real quickly, during my inspector's year or my agent's years, we did have a, a, a situation where there was a shipment of Christmas tree lights coming in, and it was commonly looked at for violations of underwriters' laboratory standards, UL standards, the little sticker that goes on things that are electrical, saying that you can be assure that it's up to safety standards. Well, the Chinese were counterfeiting those marks and putting them on lights, and there was there was a risk, however light the slight it was, 
that something could ignite. Well, on this one particular box that they sampled from a shipment, there was some writing on the Chinese on the bottom of the box, pleading for help. It was in Chinese we had to get it translated, saying, I am being held prisoner against my will. Please help me. That was probably 15 years ago. Of course, no, help was never sent. We didn't know where the factory was, and it's just that's who we're competing against. So getting back to our kids, they survived childhood. Now they're competing against people willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead. Exactly. You are right. In fact, audience, that's something to always think about is our children today. Uh, we, we were just watching. Uh, I'm going to date this show today, Brett. Uh, were, were you watching the Super Bowl yesterday, Brett? I was. Okay, who are you rooting for? Well, Orr was on Baltimore, that movie, The Blind Side, so we had watched that, and we thought it was a great story, so he's a lineman for Baltimore, so yes, we were he was. To- Yes, it was a good story. And uh, But anyway, back to the competitive edge of our lives and how we love in America sports. And we like to be competitive, and we love this. We like the Super Bowl; it's competitive. But we, have we ever noticed that when the team that wins had a rhythm, Brett? There was a rhythm among each player to support the other player, and to be able to. And, and when the lights went out yesterday, they were worried about. They didn't say the word rhythm. That uh, the um, Ravens would not have the same rhythm they had at the beginning of the game. But Ravens got it back. They started getting it back. That's what we have to learn as a person walking the planet Earth, each individual. we got to be aware. We are comp- I'm, I'm, we're, our company is also going to go into Japan, uh, into China. And we've been, they've been trying to get us into China for several years. And uh, money. It's going to cost us some money to do so. But back to the competitive edge. And I came from an era where we liked, we don't mind being good sports and competing. If I don't win them all, that's okay. But the ones I win, Brett, I want to make sure I got something out of it, right? So these young people today, like what you were taught in your boot camp uh, to be an agent, is you've got to be aware. And you can't win them all, but you've got to be on, you've got to be, get to know who you are to be good at what you do. So you know when you're out there doing what you're doing, yes, you're competing every moment of the day. Do they have to put a stop sign up and for you not to want to stop? Or maybe should we stop before the stop sign's there to be aware? What's happening to us is we got stop signs everywhere, we got street lights everywhere, and like you said, it's being enabled. The enabling is going on every single day. And what's happening in our society is uh, not like them playing the Super Bowl yesterday. Look how hard they have to train to get us to watch the Super Bowl. And the one thing, Brett, did you notice yesterday they did something during the game is they were giving us all education about the health issues of the players and what the players are now learning to be better, more aware of, of their health issues. We've been watching all these competitive spirits and our warriors go into battle and are, and all these different competitions of corporate life and uh, all these uh, the politicians and how they're competing with each other and and then we go into watching these type of games. They were educating us what the sacrifice that these players have to pro- provide you this game. But you walk the earth, and and it's just like the young girl they found in Turkey today. She chose to go travel alone. She shouldn't have done it. But she was found dead today. 
And right. she shouldn't have been traveling alone. But back to what you just said, uh, the awareness has got to become more aware, more uh, uh, living our lives the way we are, but be aware at all times of what is there and, and, and what's going on around us. Um, Tell me, there was something that you mentioned in your questions here that I don't want to forget to ask you before we're done. We're almost done. Is we've got five more minutes. As you mentioned, the fact is uh, here about your your target audience. Uh, is there something there you would like to say for people to look for the book? What is your target audience there that you're trying to uh, reach with the book? Well, I think regardless of which side of the aisle we're on, everyone wants their families to be safe. So this, as I said, is kind of a, a, a journey through what the government actually wants and is able to do versus what we want to do in, a, in an emotional sense. We have the ties to the folks that live within our four walls that the government will never have by its nature it can't have. I, you know, I certainly am spinning up, as I said, going from the book now to what people are really asking for is some help. So I'm going to be pushing something out. But in the meantime, uh, just to give myself a quick, you know, uh, unabashed plug, my website I will quickly mention is www.homeland-insecurity with the dash, homeland-insecurity.com. My book is available on that, also Amazon. But I would love to hear from people if they have questions or comments. My email is just brett, B-R-E-T-T, at homeland-insecurity.com. To find out what, what your audience has to say, there, there's a lot to consider. We have barely scratched the surface with some of the issues that were raised in the book, and it's, it's uh, rich in a dialogue that we could all have, but it would take certainly more time than the show is permitted. So in that sense, there is a, a discussion that will continue after the show, and I look forward to hearing from your people. Now, on the immigration subject, uh, because that's going to become a big issue here in the United States in the next few weeks, uh, what were you learning uh, with the immigration issue? Uh, we've got some 11 million people living here that were able to uh, break the law, come into the United States, and live here. Now they're thinking about letting them become uh, citizens of whatever card, green card, whatever it is. How do you think they're going to be able to manage that? Well, first of all, I think it's closer to 20 million. That's Second, what I've been told, too. It's cl- but way beyond 11 million. Uh, I, I think so. And here's the problem. Here's what it boils down to. The Republicans, God bless them, are trying to figure out a way to get more than 30% of the Hispanic vote. The Democrats have got it nailed. They, they are comfortable with that. They've got much more than 30%. They're, they're around 67, I think. So Reagan, even though he had amnesty, I think he got 33%. Bush got less than 30 So it's just a fact. That's about the number we're going to get. But uh, don't let that get in the way. So they're going to do their level best to figure out if we follow what the Democrats want us to do, are we thinking for one second the Democrats are not going to say, listen, we got plenty with 66%. Why did you have 40 or 50% instead of your 30 There's no way that's going to happen. So as a strategy, it's just not logical. As far as managing, here's what's happening. We've had the uh, Supreme Court decision came down in part favor to Arizona, and other states are, are waiting to see what, what goes on and what develops. In the meantime, flying in the face of their decision to support 287G, which allows law enforcement arresting someone for another violation to ask their immigration status and then call Immigration Customs Enforcement for help, Obama has said you will not help 
state and local law enforcement to the point now that we have homeland security people, immigration customs enforcement people that are suing the government to be permitted to do their jobs to help state and locals. It has not been settled yet, but that's the sort of fight we're involved with as it relates to immigration. Whatever is decided, executive order or policy can easily countermand it. And I think there's a lot of agents, my colleagues, are saying we're really frustrated. We're sitting on our hands. We're going crazy. We're being told that we're not allowed to do our jobs. And some are revolting. There are 10 that are involved in that lawsuit. And that's where we're at with immigration. Okay, well, uh, we're out of time, but I guess that's, uh, you know, it's confusing, and I hope I'm not stepping on your toes and your thoughts, but that fast and furious is the most interesting thing to have happened in our country that is so widely publicized that our country was putting illegal guns of that kind of caliber of guns out there to the, to people that they knew were going to be killing people intentionally. They just, They've just done the same thing in Wisconsin just in November. They've had screw-ups in Wisconsin. The and so we're, we're learning, and people that are uh, here illegally are really thinking that they're not getting jobs. There's more people out of work in, those, in, in, in the immigration and in, in people who are immigrants than ever in the history of the planet. And I guess they figure that they'll be enabled uh, because of the uh, philosophy that's going on. So, but again, you, you as an agent, federal agent, you did your job. Now you're, now you're going to pay it forward and educate the people about what you believe they should be seeing. And it sounds like you're a very fair person on what both sides of it, it is. But, Brett, thank you for being on with us, and I wish you well with your book. And uh, I'm, I'm sure today you've got on a lot of other things, lots of things to think about uh, that are being brought up, I know, by our country, uh, of what to do there to keep our children safe. But also, if mom and dad and, the, and, and those, quote, adults are not safe, there's nobody to protect the children. Thank you, Sharon, for having well, me. I you have a nice day, and I wish you and your family very well. And thank you for serving your country. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was very fascinating and very pleading. I really believe that Brett Brayton, uh, he wrote a book, www.homeland-insecurity.com, is pleading that we need to stop and look at the picture of what is going on for our safety, our health. If you don't feel safe, are you going to be healthy? If you don't feel safe and we're not safe, who's going to protect our water? If you're not feeling safe and people to protect your lifestyle and and getting a job, people are looking and pleading to go to work. And then he's saying today, which I knew it too, they're bringing our government today is bringing people in from all over the world with different visas because there are people here that would say they don't want to work. I do believe that people here want to work. So stop and think about what is going on. If you're out of a job, and let's say you're an illegal immigrant, don't you want to be safe, healthy, and have a job that you can know that you can depend upon and not have to look around your head? I always call it like a spotted owl, have to keep moving around and looking around because you're not sure who's going to catch you, watch you, whatever. You want to be happy. You want to be healthy. You want to feel safe. And that's what your health is all about. And, you know, I always look at it. If they're going to protect all of that, they're going to protect the water, too. So I want to thank you for listening today. Embrace your life.
every special moment. And remember what we said today, somebody else's too. But Earth does whisper. Never say goodbye on the planet Earth because we want you to leave something special behind to make it all worthwhile. And you will become immortal to all of us. I want to thank you for listening, and I want to thank Polly Featherton for my show, and I want to thank my secretary, Bonnie Mark, for making everything possible for this morning for me to have this show, and all my special guests I've had for almost seven years. You have a nice day. Bye. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 